Hello, everyone, and welcome back to On That Though, the tech conversation podcast where four millennials that are surrounded by tech every day but are not important enough to really know what's going on discuss the industry that they work in. Uh, today on the podcast, Emmy is unfortunately not joining us. She's off having far too much fun in Portugal or some other European nation. But Dom, Dill, and I discuss everything artificial intelligence and then get inspired by some superheroes to talk about accessibility. It's a nice, feel good podcast for you. I hope you enjoy. So this is tech-related, but not off your typical tech website. It's the headline that reads, McDonald's is replacing 2,500 human cashiers with digital kiosks. And here's the math. It's effectively an article that's talking about how in the U.S., McDonald's is now starting to roll out interactive kiosks. So just imagine a big rectangular touchscreen where you can do all of your ordering rather than actually having to go up to a barely legally able to work person and demanding the exact same thing or drunkenly depending on the time of day. And I've seen these things in Australia for like a year now. So I didn't actually think that this was big news, but I guess the fact that they're now rolling them out to 2,500 locations uh, in the US is a pretty big deal. The bigger impact is what happens to the sort of those entry-level jobs and I know, yes, you can't stop progress and automation's great, but most people, and myself included, have at some point sort of, you know, back in the way back machine, had a, you know, cheap, low-paying McDonald's, Woolworths, or other supermarket, or some type of simple job. What do you guys reckon? I don't really care. Part of me is concerned. And initially I was like, I'm not going to use the stupid kiosk things. They're terrible. I'm just going to go and talk to the person. Like, most of the time, the people there, like, you get better feedback from the terribly designed kiosks, um, and you get better help from the terribly designed kiosks. So for me, I'm like, yeah, like, initially, I was like, no, I'm going to talk to the people, stick it to the man. But now I just use them because they're better. And that's kind of a bit of a, like, the design on them is terrible. They're so bad to use. But I don't know whether their training of the people is getting worse or, or what, but people just seem, like, totally not wanting to be there. And of course, no one wants to be at McDonald's, but like you could at least pretend, right? <laughs> Remember, smile, everyone, smile. <laughs> it's it's interesting, right? So it's it's not a job that anyone really wants. But I remember one of the big pieces of advice I got going through high school was if you do nine months at McDonald's, you could get a job anywhere. And I think you're right. I think there is a big change coming that a lot of those entry level roles, be it just the number of cashiers at your local Coles, which is where I got my start. It is an interesting thing, particularly if the likes of Uber, you require being over a certain age and having your full license. So that sort of limits it. The amount of regulation on how much you can earn from a lot of those jobs. I I saved up for my first car while working at Bunnings Warehouse. You don't get that with any of the sort of Airtasker or Uber. You lose a lot of that. I was watching this movie really randomly and it's called Flawed. It's a very interesting look at the floor trading that happened in Chicago. So back in the day they had papers and they were like screaming and like physical altercations and they were doing futures trading. I was watching it because someone recommended watching it as a sales type movie because you it's, it's falling in love with the hunt, which I, that's not my style at all, but they really highly recommended its movie. And 10% of the people who were originally doing this role are left in 
a span of about three years from where computers became readily available. And and for me, it was a moment where I kind of took for granted how many jobs can be lost through this stuff and the challenge that we will face as a lot of these entry-level roles go, but also how other stuff just gets modernized. At least with truck drivers, we've got a bit of forewarning, right? So it'll probably be two or three years before truck drivers are all replaced. But two or three years and thousands of people lost their job just in this industry. They were talking like in the tens of millions of dollars of potential earnings that had shifted into a completely new area. No one wants to work at Macca's. I'm not sure what kids are going to do with the extra time. Do we become even more educated? I don't know. I think it's when it like hit Australia, like there's a few people like, oh no, kids won't be able to get jobs. And we always like, I guess we've all talked about that. It's like, oh, kids, you know, they get their start there. But I think when it comes to America, that's the one thing I noticed, like the times I've been there is that a lot of these jobs that, uh, you know, like your supermarket jobs and whatever, that's not, that's not kids as much as it is here in Australia. Like that's people working there to support their family. Just because the culture, like the work culture is so different. Bigger consequence then? If, yeah. Saying, like you said, you know, people are in there supporting their families. It's not just that they're saving up for a, a video game console or something now. It's actually putting food on a table. And not that there aren't people that are supporting their families in, in these sort of jobs like the supermarkets and the, and the McDonald's where they're, where they're having automated cashiers and whatnot. But I think it's like so much bigger over there. That, that we take it for granted. And yeah, like my flippant comment before about like, yeah, get over it. It's probably just because of our, like the culture we have here is that it's very like, yeah, cool. It's just kids in work. They'll find another job. Like there's plenty, there's plenty to go around. No, look, and it's some good points. So I guess time will tell. I was reading an article today and it's not a very newsworthy article. I honestly don't know why they wrote it beyond a puff piece. The title is Airbnb is using machine learning to help hosts make as much money as possible. The TLDR of this, they're helping hosts make more money by charging the right prices at the right time and helping fill their places. And they're doing this through machine intelligence. However, About halfway down the article, they start throwing around the term artificial intelligence, talk about how Airbnb is ahead of the game in using artificial intelligence. So what they're defining as AI is in my book, purely personalization and retargeting. So my question is, what is artificial intelligence and are we throwing that term around too flippantly? I don't think we're throwing it around too too flippantly. I think we've been protecting a little bit too much. Like, it's it's a made-up term, um, and I'm sure someone will be like, oh, it means this, it means that. I don't know. I think it's just, like, anything that's kind of smart. Like, I think machine learning falls under the artificial intelligence space. There was a, a really good definition of, rather than it being artificial intelligence, it's intelligent algorithms. I thought it was a better way to start to phrase a lot of what we're seeing today. Most people, I'm going to hazard a guess and say, Think of AI as in like you've got some kind of projected face on a screen and you can talk to it and it's fully sentient. You can have a conversation and no one's just you know pre-coding things in the background. What the Airbnb example that you gave is a really good sort of use case of having intelligent algorithms that make the system seem a lot more intelligent. And yes, it is, but I don't think it'd be if we were if we're going to define it. I, to me, full artificial intelligence would be having an entity that's self-aware. 
Like, I think that would be my personal definition, where you would have a, an object you could interact with or talk to. So whatever sci-fi movie you want here, hopefully one that doesn't immediately wipe out humanity, um, you know, max level intel artificial intelligence. And what we're starting to see today is just a lot more of the, the baby steps in that field actually having practical uses would be my way I would describe that. Wikipedia says artificial intelligence is intelligence <laughs> exhibited by machines. In computer science, the field of AI research defines itself as study of intelligent agents. Any device that perceives its environment and takes actions to maximize its chance of success at some goal. Colloquially, the term artificial intelligence is applied when, mach when a machine mimics cognitive functions that humans associate with other human minds, such as learning and problem solving. I like yeah. the good definition. But mention mimics. Yeah. Like, is that really what the website is doing? Like, I don't know, human brains are sort of good at predicting things, but they're also not very good. So to me, it's making up a brand new feature that a brain can't do very well. Because if they did, the homeowners today would have already had the most optimal pricing and you wouldn't need that. But I think it's like, I guess I kind of overlooked the mimics and more thought of like the takes actions to maximize its chance of success at some goal. And it's like, for me, I'm like, I guess it's, it's machine learning. And I kind of see it as whenever you're you're starting to take in more factors than the person who develop who is developing it could take in, and you're processing more than the person who's developing it thought to process. So, so like for example, if I was writing an algorithm that takes in two numbers and adds them together and spits it out, like that's just a basic algorithm. There's no I don't think there's any artificial intelligence there, right? Because it's just two numbers, and then I'm programming it to take that and then spit out the sum of those two numbers. If I had a spreadsheet with 100 columns of data, 20 million records, and I shove that through some sort of machine learning algorithm because I'm a data science and scientist and smart enough to pick the right one, if I was to shove that through that, it's starting to do things that are beyond what I could comprehend and even process of the data that's there. So I consider that starting to work into artificial intelligence and in that you're getting the computer to do more than the person can understand. And not just not just as at a scale thing, but just more of a starting to correlate stuff that the human who even designed the algorithm that's doing the correlation can't see or process themselves. Agree to an extent on that, but I think it needs to be on a like mathematical formula. I, the closest we are to an AI sort of thing and to use an example, would be something like uh, Skype Translator, where it starts learning how to learn a language. So you teach it a language, it learns how to learn a language, and suddenly it's learning languages at pace and being able to apply those learnings. For me, that is the beginning of an artificial intelligence, where it's starting to train itself and work independently and make conclusions. Something that is at its heart, an analytics or pure mathematical algorithm, and it's not making actual conclusions, it's just processing. It's kind of like the McDonald's process line, but for math at scale. For me, that falls into the realm of big data. I think we throw around this term of artificial intelligence where it's really just an analytics question. But it's still making conclusions. Like the thing that's determining the pricing of Airbnb stuff is still making a conclusion that is the price. It's just from a continuous – it's not like a yes or no. It's saying that, all right, cool, 
based on the data, I can make this conclusion for you that this would be the best pricing. But is it working like an algebraic equation where it's 0.3x plus 0.2y and granted, you know, it's got a whole lot of that and it's super complex, but it's still just a mathematical equation that goes like correlates time of day and that. For me, that's just a marketing algorithm. It's not artificial intelligence. Machine intelligence is probably the closest thing. Computers only think in numbers, right? So it's like if it's even if it's processing language, it's just a different view on how it how it gets to those to those numbers in the end. Yes, it goes through algorithms and it spits out language. Maybe they're more complex, but is it not just a more ramped up version of the thing that's calculating prices, the language processing? Sure, yeah, it's way it's like way cooler because you're spitting out whole sentences. Is the underlying logic not still the same in that it's just it's bringing in data? That, that humans have taught it and it's converting it into something else that it's then ramping up because then starting to learn from itself and whatnot. So where I would say the difference lies is creative assumptions. The challenge that we have with that like machine intelligence is you've got a self-driving car and it comes along a duck crossing the road and it's never seen a duck before so it just stops and then you have to program it and say this is a duck it can't interpret that it's a duck where it crosses that line into artificial intelligence is where oh well i've seen something similar before and i did this because it has a heartbeat in it and it makes that conclusion of ah oh, this is an animal and i probably shouldn't run it over it's where it can draw on other learnings not related to that specific example and make an assumption. And I think the closest thing we have to that right now is teaching something like a language where, oh, well, in these cases, I broke it down and so this must mean this. And then we can correct it if it's wrong, but it's still making those like creative leaps and assumptions. I'll pay that. Can I shift, that. Can I shift gears on this then for a second? Yes. Because it's part of the question I think you asked at the beginning is, is this just a marketing term? In a lot of the cases, the answer is yes. Article that you mentioned at the beginning there, Amy, around Airbnb, that's the perfect example of people just getting on buzzword bingo and just being like, yeah, machine learning. And it's now also artificial intelligence. Yes, that's technically correct because machine learning is a subfield of artificial intelligence, but you don't really need to throw it in there because it's not, all they're using it for is predicting pricing. And it's effectively a linear regression model that you could do in Excel. And like that was something I, I did a basic course and I was like, oh, I had no idea. Like you can do a bunch of this data modeling stuff in Excel. And just today, a lot of that stuff that you could have done in the past is just rebranded as machine learning. And it's really, then people then go, oh, let's just call it artificial intelligence. Our company's powered by AI. A lot of the time, I don't think it's a genuine, uh, or at least sort of what you were both talking to a moment ago, of these more meaningful sort of cognitive functions. It's just, hey, it's this time of year, based on this historical data, what should I be trying to figure out as my price point? Or insert other very similar kind of question where it's, given this, what should I do now? Now, I don't yeah. think that is a good example at all of artificial intelligence. I think that's just yeah. marketing. I totally agree. Because, Amy, is the is the article framed in to paint Airbnb in a positive or negative manner, or is it magically not trying to frame it as anything? Airbnb wanting to be framed in a very positive manner, the way it's written is very, how can we get this to appear everywhere in the SEO? So let's throw in a whole bunch of buzzwords. It's a whole lot of nothing, really. 
I have a follow-up story to that, which is another artificial intelligence thing because I then went down the rabbit hole of what's happening in artificial intelligence. Then I came across this article. Um, I'm a massive fan of this company, so I'll say right up front I'm totally biased. Vero has released an artificially intelligent Spider-Man toy, and it looks pretty spectacular. Here we have an article from Nerdist. Long story short, there's a new Spider-Man movie coming out. You've probably seen the ads that are everywhere and give away the whole movie. Unlike their last products, which focused on movement and robotics, this is a Spider-Man that you can tell stories to, you can play games with, and it really leverages voice as a method of interacting with the Spider-Man and playing a game but talking to it to unlock that game and defeat villains. It also has enough content to deliver stories that are worth about 100 comic books worth, um, which is a very unique measurement that I unfortunately can understand. So having a read through this, I was like, why are they throwing around the artificial intelligent term when I'm thinking it's a Furby? What they've actually done... exactly what I was thinking. It's it's like, it's an expensive Furby, right? And then we'll just brand it (laughs) as Spider-Man. Idiots like Amy, who, despite being 25 years old, will drop $150 on it. I was looking into it, and apparently they've given this toy the Turing test. And it passed. So by having these conversations, it actually could fool something into thinking that it was talking to a human. Wow. But how dumb was the other human, though? Like, how dumb was the human in the <laughs> test? <laughs> I think, look, it wasn't speaking to the little um, palm-sized Spider-Man. Apparently, it was between a human and on the other end of a phone or something, and, yeah, passed a Turing test. Wow. I, ha- I have no idea, and I don't know if this is a true story or not. For me, at that point, are bots more closely aligned to the artificial intelligence piece than... Airbnb's pricing optimization. Out of face value? Yes. That sounds amazing. So that is exactly the example you gave just then, where it has potentially fooled someone into thinking that it is just another intelligence that they are talking to. To me, sort of with the the view I shared at the beginning, that is what I think artificial intelligence actually is. It's not just a really hyper-accurate predict the sales price. That toy sounds amazing and I want one. Does it have to be Wi-Fi connected, though? Or is it like, does it say anything about if it's doing all of the processing on the device? Honestly, I, I don't know, but I've got it in my Amazon card at the moment. I'm just trying to figure out the optimal way to get it. Or if I wait until <laughs> I'm at San Diego Comic-Con and inevitably pick a special limited edition one up. Uh, need that. Yeah, it looks cool. In a similar vein to the new virtual reality game that's coming out, uh, Starship Commander. Have you guys heard of that? Oh, yes. And it's using the Microsoft Lewis engine, so you can talk to it. Really? Yeah, okay. I didn't know it was using Microsoft's engine. For those who haven't seen it, it's a virtual reality game. You sit down and you are sitting on like around a table at a starship. So if you're a fan of Star Trek, get on this. It's a game entirely driven by voice, which I found interesting that Sphero have just released this and Commander are going down this path as well ideally you have a conversation and you just give it directions and you proceed through a game so you tell the starship to go and you negotiate with hostiles and you have a conversation with them and progress the story for me that's where we start getting into that intelligent computing i'll allow it (laughs) (laughs) no i do agree you've convinced me yeah and i think it's like i think we've i think we've 
pretty much spent the last while arguing semantics, really, because it's just about the word that you use to describe it. I think all in all, it's just however you apply it, you're just applying it lots and lots and fast. Um, whatever algorithm you're doing, whatever you're trying to solve, it's just doing it lots and really, really fast and effectively just kind of brute forcing your way through to a result. Granted, a very cool one, but a result nonetheless. 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 Solid um, word. I'm pretty good at I don't know. I usually just think AI is a great way to um, freak people out. <laughs> it's just a great word to throw out there. Coming to take your jobs. You can't build a wall against AI. Ha <laughs> ha. Well, you could. You could just build a firewall. <laughs> hey. So, all right. Here's a question then to extend on that. So things are getting smarter and smarter. Personally, are you concerned about artificial intelligence once it is that sentient? Not just, oh, it's in a toy or, oh, it's predicting Airbnb prices, but this is something that says, you know, hi, Amy, how's your day today? And actually holds the conversation with you and is remembering and learning. Not even, like, not even remotely. No? No, really, like, really not concerned. Why not? Like, I just haven't seen it good. Like, sure, things can pass the Turing test, and with my like overwhelming lack of knowledge of of all of the Turing test and uh, and everything that goes with it like it depends on how the person who you're testing the AI against responds to things as well like it's a completely subjective um test and it depends on a person sitting there and then another but there's like two people in this um, so the test is completely, I'm not going to say flawed. It's, it's a great idea. I've just not seen anything that's even remotely capable of doing anything useful, um, and holding a conversation and doing smart things. Um, but when it like is, I, that's, that's more what I mean. I just don't think it's going to get there. Like, I really Never. don't. No, like, I do not think we'll have like Tony Stark AI that's like your butler. This is like completely naive. I'm sure, but I just don't. I just don't think so. Like I've not seen. Like I don't think we're even at five percent of the way there. Surprised to hear you say that. Very cool. Yeah, I'm surprised. Like I think, I think we're doing awesome stuff. Like I think, you know, all the language processing and image processing and everything we're doing is stunning. But it all has limited use cases. And like, yeah, I just don't think we've got like actual assistants that are actually useful. Um, like not even remotely close which is why it really doesn't concern me. Look, I disagree that we're very far off it. I think there's a couple of challenges there, right? So the things that are protecting me and my job, firstly, I'm in sales. People like buying off other humans for some ungodly reason. But there's a challenge in you've got to pick your tribe. And we were joking about it earlier about the great religious war that comes when you've got to pick a side of either Amazon or Google or Microsoft or Apple or whoever else is the other contender in that, which I doubt will be Snapchat or Twitter. How open is this platform going to be to provide that service where you have that Tony Stark level Jarvis running? I can't have a mix of a PC or a phone and I'd have to give up all my data. I don't even have Facebook. I think that there's a big data war coming. I think the challenge will be breaking down those walls. I don't think we could have like that truly holistic artificial intelligence style of, what's that movie, Her? But it's a great movie. It's got Jacqueline Phoenix in it and Scarlett Johansson provides the voice. I don't think we can get to that stage 
limited purely by the fact that all these other all these companies will be bunkering down and concentrating on their thing. Google from the marketing AdWords perspective, Amazon from that retail heavy focus and just selling new stuff, Microsoft from that optimize your workplace, Apple from a we just want everything to look pretty and just work perspective. And I don't think we're going to have that link of information that we'll need to really draw that conclusion. The computing power, yeah, we'll get there. It's improving exponentially. The intelligence of these machines, yes, I think they'll get there in terms of potential. I think that there'll be social challenges. Who owns the data? Who has access to the data? How much does it cost to access these sort of platforms? We'll really limit it from becoming everywhere and everywhere. I'm, I'm in the camp that it's going to be here and soon. I mean, when you start to look at a Siri or Cortana, yes, they're you know limited um, in the way that they proactively try to engage you, but it's already started. And, I mean, to me, the, a lot of the foundation is there, like the compute power, I think that's pretty much there um, when you start to look at... Siri, Cortana can be activated pretty much instantly um, from millions and millions and millions of devices anywhere on the planet. And yes, sometimes if you don't have a good network connection, it might drop out, but it still works. And so like, that's a huge network, and all that infrastructure has already been put in place, and it's only getting bigger as all the big tech giants start to put more and more money into their respective clouds. You know, when you start to look at that whole Moore's Law from computing, I mean, Yes, it's slowing down from a hardware point of view, but it just feels like it's only going to get faster when we start to really be building these smart assistants and smart systems. I mean, the fact that we have so many companies in some form or another saying they're building AI or machine learning or insert other version of the two um, of intelligence fields into their product, it's got such a mind share that by definition, there's a tipping point where it will just start to figure it out itself if it hasn't already, and it's secretly monitoring all of the conversations that we're doing. So you mentioned there's a whole bunch of companies working on this, right? But there's probably there aren't that many companies that are in that arms race at a broad perspective level. You've got your companies that are your startup companies that are in it to get acquired, and they'll focus specifically on driver's licenses and identifying which country, which state, which year, what's the expiry date, is this the real thing, how can we test this over the line, and they'll develop those algorithms. But that's so niche. How realistic is it to think that we're going to get to a phase where we've got the one intelligence to rule them at all or even the four competitive intelligences to do it all yeah well that's where we started talking about bots earlier that's where i think potentially what will happen is you have that intelligent interface that can connects back like to me that'll be the next version of websites is you look at a, a bot framework and you've got the one interface and then it's just connecting off to all of these other services. And over time, that will become more and more seamless. And then you will still have a business model around it because let's say you are, you know, insert personal assistant bot that is your interface, just like a Google or a Bing search bar is today. And that then goes, connects you to the right source of information. In the future, that bot just goes, finds the other right bot to talk to. And let's say it's buying a movie ticket. You know, it goes, I want um, to go see Wonder Woman tonight. And it then figures out the closest stores, well, closest places, 
gives you your ticket, the bot might get, I don't know, a 1% fee for doing it for you. So that way, whoever's creating said bot gets, you know, to stay in business. But in that world, you very, very quickly get to move past, I guess, the pages and pages and pages of websites. And yes, it's not going to be perfect for every interaction model, but it would make a lot of them better. Like, I feel like all you've described to me there is just a new type of interface. I, I don't think that's even close to intelligence. It's cool. And it provides a different way of interfacing with something that provides you kind of that broad top level thing and that you don't have to go through 17 pages to finish your task. You can do it in a single, a single message. But I still like you still just described an interface. Yeah, it might have some smarts and might suggest some things and whatever, but it's still an interface. I can do that with a website tonight. Aren't people like interfaces based on the job that they have. Yeah, like part of them is an interface. But I think like if you're actually going to talk about like what is artificial intelligence, what is something like that we should be scared of that it's going to have power to to <laughs> do bad things. I'm like honestly, a one week old child has a better like ability to respond to stimulus and have emotion than like across a spectrum of things and actually process multiple things coming from all angles and respond to that. One week old child has a better ability to do that than any computer I've seen. Yeah, if you're going to pick a niche thing, if you're going to say this this one week old child's ability to respond to language, sure, they have no ability. They have no ability, and you know, any like Siri has better ability than that. I like what's going on in there in in their brain. I think this is just me speculating because I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I like I feel like that far surpasses anything we've achieved. Not to mention like all of the emotion on top of that, um, on top of just like responding to stimulus, like the emotion that then is attached to that. I just don't feel that, that it's something like even remotely close to being to being something we should fear and something that's gonna actually like meet the human the human level. I could be wrong. I'm likely wrong. I'm mostly wrong. So there is a that's fourth industrial revolution. Have I got that right guys? Um I hear about it all the time. Um, and yeah. it's you know the the past one we just became more educated and we did other things. If I was to go all futurist with Sphero, the other news from Sphero is that they're separating out a robotics division and their view is a robot in every house and every office. Uh, where they've gone with the Spider-Man. That sounds familiar. Oh, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like, did you just <laughs> copy Microsoft and go, okay, we're going to be the Microsoft, but we're going to... Uh, name ourselves Misty Robotics and we're going to have a robot in every home and every office. Uh, Don't they literally like just make balls? No, okay. Are they going to be the Microsoft balls? <laughs> so the story with Spiro, if I can regale you with the tale, apparently women like telling stories, so you've unleashed the beast. <laughs> <laughs> so Spiro started as a toy company. Um, they had that little ball. Me being the idiot that I am, purchased one. It's great fun, actually. I heard a little bit more about the Spiro story and what they were hoping to do with it. The idea being that they could develop remote controls with such a fine degree by using machine intelligence, here we go, to optimize the interaction. You sell a million of these balls to kids to play with, and then we get better at developing the controls. Allegedly, they're in conversations with military, and again, I'm not important to know this or whether it's true or not, you can park a Harrier jet using that same software on a boat, you know, those big aircraft carrier things. 
So they optimize the actual control software well enough that you can just take your regular old iPad, um, I'm sure whack some security on that, and start parking some jets on a plane that a human pilot probably wouldn't be as good at parking. Um, I am neither a pilot nor in the military, so, you know, don't shoot me if I'm wrong. Uh, Disney is a major investor in it. Funnily enough, they're now releasing cars and Spider-Man branded properties. Uh, And then with the Spider-Man toy, they then started developing this artificial intelligence and voice interaction. Being that you can have a conversation with Spider-Man, he'll tell you witty stories, and you can go on adventures together in a voice-driven game. Now they have split off this separate company which focuses on, you know, the robot in every home and office, and you can really see where their control and hardware experience is now being applied to something far better. Why I've always said that this is a fantastic company is it's a case of not biting off more than you can chew. Don't just start a robotics company when you don't have history with AI or manufacturing these products. We're going to practice on toys and things that we don't need to get it 100% correct. We'll be a sustainable business and then we'll branch into something else. Why I'm excited is that you've got this company that can control little mini Lightning McQueens, again plugging the Disney, and have Spider-Man have conversation with you and take those learnings and apply it to a real life setting, allegedly. They've just announced that they've split off this um, company, Mystery Robotics. I'm very, very, very excited to see what comes out of it. So excited. This looks amazing. Yeah. I should probably open the website, hey? I'm just like I'm, I'm on the website. I just want it so bad. The little Spider-Man? What, what is, um, yes. What is this <laughs> it is adorable. Its Thanks. eyes are little LEDs as well, and so it shows emotion and reacts with its little eyes. It's just adorable. Oh, God, I want it right now. We can team up and <gasps> fight baddies. Trade yes. quips. Be super. <laughs> All I see is Spider-Man TM, $149.99. And then you find out that's in USD. A really cool story about, you know, taking the learnings from something and applying it to something bigger and greater. And that's what I love about tech. And this company just excites me so much. And that is super smart. And I think that's where, yeah, like that's a great example of people needing to think about how this technology can be applied in other areas. Like a great example is when Nintendo came out with the Wii. And then it actually became a really low cost device to rehabilitate people with just basic gross motor skills um, and even like the Wii Fit board, like you're like, oh, $150 peripheral for games. Yeah, that's a little exy. But for what it was for actually measuring distribution of weight, particularly if you're, you know, learning to walk again or if you had some sort of spinal in- injury, it was an incredibly cost effective tool. And uh, yeah, it's just, just so cool seeing technology reapplied like that. No point, but more just, I think we should look more broadly on how we can take awesome tech and share it with the world. And Spider-Man's eyes are just, like, hypnotizing me. I need to scroll past him. (laughs) Anyway. It actually melts my heart, like, just looking at that little thing. So um, I think they stock them at the Apple retail store. I'm down for a trip during the week on a lunch break to go check him out. Wait, you're in Australia? Wait until next week when I'm there so I can come with? Yes. Yes. (laughs) Here's my, here's, here's my, here's, this is instead of me having an article, article to share. Um, I don't like Instagram anymore. I actually, I love Instagram, but I hate Instagram right now. I'm not sure if you've been on there lately. They've added all these random features with like liking stuff and whatnot. 
in the way that smartphones have become the best camera to have because, you know, the best camera is the one you've got with you. Even, like, people are willing to sacrifice, I guess you could say, quality of photo. People are happy to sacrifice that ability just because they've got it on them all the time. Instagram's kind of become that for photo sharing and that, like, every photographer's on Instagram and sure, Flickr's a better, a better tool for sharing your, your, your mad pics that you've taken with all your photography mates from Portland. <laughs> but, like, there's not enough people there. So people don't use it. And so they use Instagram instead. And yet, like, Instagram has no features or anything to facilitate adding, like, photo metadata to it so that photographers can share that stuff, which they should be, because if they're not, I'm not going to go there because I'll get in trouble. But you should be sharing that data because who cares? Like, your ability to take a photo is what makes your photo special, not hiding your settings from everyone and putting your mad watermarks on everything because you're paranoid. I think they kind of have a bit more of a responsibility to be a better photography platform. But here's my next thing is that Instagram has no accessibility features. Like when you think about it, right? Like they don't encourage anyone to properly describe their photo to someone who can't see the photo. Um, and sure, people who go, um, it's photos like people who are blind can't see them anyway. But I've heard stories of like people who are blind will, will go and like sit in a park and take photos of stuff and then go and ask someone to describe it to them. Like I don't understand that because I'm, I can see, but like that's, that's such a cool thing. And Instagram, it just doesn't facilitate any of it and it makes me very mad, but I love it because it's like the only social app that I have on my phone. That's a really nice point to make is creating more inclusive technology. That's a touchy subject with a lot of people because I know not everyone has sometimes the same empathy or compassion required. Sometimes when people have uh, different abilities in life, could, should, could Instagram force users to have like alt text or some sort of description so that way you can be included more broadly? But then again, social media is all about just how do we make it as fast and easy as possible. And like the W3C spec or whatever it is, like the validator forces you to put alt text on your image. But if you just put the alt text with like an A character in it, it'll pass the validator. You can't – and it's, it's some of the stuff that's never going to happen. And maybe it's intentional that they don't have photo metadata on there because they don't want to complicate it with that and they don't want all these people that have no idea that your camera has settings – to like suddenly see all this data. Um, I'm sure it's intentional and it's probably a smart decision, but like the accessibility stuff, I'm like, I would just love to see that, like see that framed in, in such a way that that can inspire people to, to be more aware if, if nothing else, they've got this amazing, like just beautiful story of people sharing stuff to look at. And they also have, a, like terribly disruptive ad feature that they could then tell this story with and make people actually feel something. And sure, we all haven't, most of us haven't not experienced blindness, but I guess what freaks me out the most is it's like, I have all these photos on my Instagram and if I was blind tomorrow, I wouldn't be able to see them. Um, and I'd have to get someone else to describe them to me because my captions don't describe them even remotely. And that's kind of scary. Yeah, I've got two questions on this. Firstly, I don't think of Instagram as a photo platform. I think of it purely as a social media platform. 
people leverage it for a marketing piece, but it usually is about attracting people to a store or to a particular tattoo artist or to a motorcycle or it's really a product sales and a social marketing, social media platform. However, based on that, and if we take it away from just the photos itself, is it the responsibility of the OS or the application to provide those accessibility features? For example, Apple's assistive touch, it does do description of this is what it says and tap twice for this and this is where Amy is right now. Is the point of Instagram really and is the accessibility feature then Amy was at the beach, caption, um, what a fun day, hashtag forever alone. I don't know. (laughs) But if the purpose of Instagram is as a social media platform, is the accessibility all that's needed just a... read the description, read a location, who is the user? It's a hard question to answer. Kind of jumping back a few sentences to that, is it the OS or is it the um, the the developer's problem? Um, the answer is both. Um, it's the OS's job to provide the the screen reader and whatever um, that can that can be easy to interface with, um, but there's got to be work on the developer's side as well to communicate to use the the inherent accessibility features to communicate the intent of whatever the person's meant to be looking at, to build it in a way that it's as if someone's standing beside them describing to them what's on the screen. Talking specifically about accessibility for, for blind users here. Beyond that, it's like, I don't know, like where does where does that line like it's it the answer is both, but where does that line where does that line sit? I think that's where, kind of coming full circle, this whole artificial intelligence becomes ridiculously exciting because it then unlocks at scale hopefully some of those services that particularly help people from a disadvantaged background or from a background where you might not be able to afford the greatest tutor of all time or you might not be able to have someone who can describe photos to you. But as time goes on, hopefully we can create services that once we've built it once can provide that scale so that everyone, if they want to, can have someone to describe a photo or can, you know, whether it's a school and you need a math tutor to explain some concepts to you differently or all insert all the other areas where, you know, automation would or some sort of an automated companion or something like that could be incredibly helpful where, you know, a carer today, particularly when it comes to sort of, you know, health services, then there's never enough. I think that's extremely exciting. I totally agree. Like totally, completely agree. I think it's there, Dom. It's like, it's capturing that idea that it's like, it's not an assistant. Like it's not, it's not a person. It's not a person sitting next to you all the time, being able to adapt and describe what's there it's it's using these features it's using these subset these tiny little segments of like human ability and human intelligence that we've managed to capture and brute force the pants off so it's smart enough to do that tiny little bit of human human ability image recognitions one language processing's one sentiment analysis is another all these things these tiny little segments like when you think of what humans are capable of they're tiny segments but they're done and they're complete and they tie together terribly in all of these virtual assistants. It's like, that's the stuff that I'm like, I, that's the stuff that's truly just enabling humans to just 
be better. Maybe not better is not the word I'm looking for, but just do more than they can currently do to give back stuff that's been taken away from people. I think that, like, I love that. I love that we can use those little things for good. Makes me happy. We sort of, I mean, it's easy to get caught up in, oh, yeah, you know, more money or more revenue and get more ad clicks. But at the end of the day, that's why I think technology is such a special industry, is it can genuinely have that incredible impact. So I'm just more, yeah, I kind of think back to it. Um, and it is, it's a bit old now, but it's one of my absolute favorite, the whole Steve Gleason, um, who's a footballer over in the U.S., and he has a disease where he can no longer move his arms and legs. But using eye tracking, he can still type on a keyboard to be able to um, speak. I mean, sure, it's not quite the same, but he can still interact with his son and his wife. And, you know, literally someone created a piece of technology that allows a dad to talk to his son again. And no matter which way you dice, that's just fantastic. Yeah. And we spent so long, like, like slamming this stuff and, oh, is this right? Is this wrong? And, um, like, thinking up all these ways to make money. It's like, what are we doing, right? Like, mm. is it is that is that really worth our time when there's stuff like that, like where you can give someone their voice back? And, in like, in his situation, because of his inability to, to move his arms, to talk, um, to, like, control muscles properly – it's, it doesn't just take that away from you. It takes away, even though his mind is completely there, people's perception of him is that his mind isn't there because you, you can't use it to, to do the rest of your body and to give him back his voice, which gives him back like that, that ability to be just to be seen as, as someone who can speak, as someone who, who is still, is still there, is still processing and still taking in everything from the world and, and having these emotions and these feelings. It's like you're doing more than just giving someone their voice. And, like, that's so cool. Like, so cool. There's so many great things like that. It's so good. Do you know what? I think those <laughs> stories are undershared, though. I know because it can come across as, oh, I, I don't want to say blowing your own horn, as it were. I think Microsoft needs to do a better job of sharing those stories. I think Apple had a really big push on the accessibility play a few years ago. And I think they've pulled back on that just to not seem like they're, oh, look at us, we're so great, we're helping people just for the marketing rev. I think tech does need to do a better job of sharing those stories and mm. bringing it all back to that so that when we get excited about a little adorable Spider-Man toy that you can have an interaction with, you can recognise that a game that is purely voice-controlled opens up a huge market uh, for kids that probably haven't played a video game before. I think we need to do a better job of telling those stories and advertising it, if only to help people imagine what the potential is of technology and to bring some of that wonder back and to bring some of that good back. Because as much as we can talk about jobs being taken by artificial intelligence and the like, it's really good to remember some of the good that's come from this and it is just yeah. good and it's it's one of those things where it's like yeah like some people are telling these stories just just to blow a trumpet just for the marketing revenue and whenever you tell something like this like that's potentially going to result um but it's like are you, are you telling these stories to to pat yourself on the back so you can continue to justify the rest of the unethical stuff that you might be doing 
or are you doing this because you actually believe, like you're actually sitting there asking the question, like, what are we doing? Like, what are, what are we doing with all this tech? Are we targeting higher prices to people in, in certain areas because we know they're going to pay it? Like, really? <laughs> when, when, like, we can do everything else. It's like, are we doing it to pat ourselves on the back and make us be like, yeah, it's all right. We're, we're doing some good things. Or do we do it to inspire the next thing? To make people like, to keep going with their idea that they're doing not to make money, not to, you know, further some dream and, and become an entrepreneur so they can put it in their Twitter bio. Not that you actually have to be any good to have that in your Twitter bio. But are we just like inspiring people to just like, it's like, hold on to that. Like, hold on to that and do great things. As much as millennials cop shit for wanting purpose in life and, you know, I'm sorry, baby boomers, you raised us and said we can change the world and you said that we should do something more than just making money um, and you made us watch Captain Planet and so, yes, now we want to protect the Great Barrier Reef. But beyond that rant, I do think that kids in particular, the idea of doing good is really freaking exciting. And just beyond playing with the technology, get them thinking and be creative and how to help maybe their friend who can't run as fast as them or has trouble writing um, and wants to just be able to speak to their iPad. There's so much potential and, you know, even on this podcasts and now conversations we can get rather negative i think switching it to this accessibility conversation and talking about the potential particularly with children or people that are motivated to make a difference ah the potential is huge and exciting i love it i'm I'm down that sounds awesome so on that note do we want to wrap it up (laughs) up? because dom hasn't got the title of this podcast wrong yet i will no (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to hit stop recording right now.